So, Mike, you know, I'm just going to come right out and say it. And, you know, I got to say I think it's the truth, but I don't get the hype surrounding Jesse Marshall. You know, the guy is a product of this podcast. I've been thinking the same thing for a while here. He's lucky he was drafted onto this podcast. That's all I'll say. Yeah, I agree. Trade me. Let's find out. Welcome into the second episode of Dying Alive, the podcast that's all about talking hockey and contemplating morality. I'm Pat Damp from the Pens Blog, and as always, I'm here with Jesse Marshall of The Athletic and Mike Darnay of Pensburg. What's up, guys? And training camp is actually happening. There's actual hockey yeah. uh, being played right now. Hockey players have invaded Cranberry. And they are playing actual, almost real hockey. When it's what? Today is Monday the... 17th. Uh, 17th. Tomorrow's the 18th. Tomorrow's our first preseason game, right? Correct. Tomorrow, Buffalo Sabres. Actual, actual, hashtag actual hockey. Real NHL players in the lineup, not just pseudo prospects. Yeah, it's not going to be the the up-and-comers who might not make it. It's going to be the guys who you're going to see wearing Penguin uniforms at PPG Paints this this season. Like Evgeny Malkin sands some teeth. R.I.P. Gino's teeth. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what's up with that? So the Penguins reported, what, Thursday, Friday? Yeah, Last Friday. Week. Twice in two days, he gets hit with a high stick. Uh, twice, twice in two days. In Phil two Kessel, days. Also, Phil Kessel met with the media mic twice in two days. Yes, now same old shit <laughs> he literally is one of us when it's like when you when you were in high school you come back school starts beginning of september what did you guys do this summer same old shit <laughs> yeah and then one of the big new kids hits you in the face with a stick or is that yeah, just I mean, or is that just the only nah, well considering <laughs> considering my height everybody was the big mean kid to me so that doesn't really narrow down the 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 prospect pool for me there jesse all i can say is matt cullen is lucky he being the second guy to hit malkin in the face uh he's lucky that he's not craig adams because otherwise he would have got the shit beat out of him in practice <laughs> which reminds me yeah, so that, let's not forget that it wasn't all that long ago that billy tibbets had attempted to re-enter the nhl <laughs> and <laughs> And attempted, committed an attempted murder on Mario Lemieux uh, mid-training camp and then subsequently had to fight every 25 minutes for the rest of the time he was there before they told him to pack his bags up and get the hell out a la Mike Commodore. Oh, my God. Imagine doing that, too, in training camp. Like, you're trying – like, I understand a guy wants to make his mark and I know a guy wants to stand out from the crowd, especially a guy like Billy Damn Tibbets who – all right, man. But – Lemieux, really? Of all the people, and he's the owner. I mean, it's not just that he was the best player. Yeah, he you fought your the boss. Damn team. <laughs> no, so Lemieux didn't do any of the fighting. Uh, I think everybody else took care of that for him. But and then it was years before that when one of the preseason games was Wilkes-Barre versus Pittsburgh in Wilkes-Barre, and Lemieux injured his hip 
in one of the what ended up being the final preseason game before the regular season started uh, and quelled uh, any chances of seeing him in the first like month and a half of the season. And there was also the uh, Wayne Primo injury for uh, that was John LeClaire or John LeClaire, John LeClaire thought it was an inside job from the Flyers. Yeah, <laughs> Leclerc game. They were talking. They, uh, I think it was the documentary, the Pittsburgh is home, where Shiro said, "Like, oh my God, this is my first day. I finally get this guy over from Russia, and he blows up." And John Leclerc is the man responsible and, for. And he didn't. Him out. He didn't just hit him. He wrecked him. Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, and at the time, you know, this was like the Penguins. Like, we're gonna be good. Like, they, we were waiting for something good to finally happen. And then everybody just scoured. Nobody at that. Nobody knew as much about separated and like injured shoulders as they did during like hour after that game was over. People were on WebMD, and, like, well, according to this, like on like message boards, like hockey's future. People were like, I googled it on WebMD, and it said two to four weeks. And then it's like, no, it's four to six. I was, on, I, I was on WebMD, and I went on to Let's Go Pens, and I was arguing with. It's probably me. <laughs> yeah, it was probably you. I'm sitting there in my high school library, like, I don't know who this J Marsh FOF guy is, but he's a moron. Um, well, the good news is, is that uh, Malkin's face is seemingly fine. And there was a, they, you know, obviously he and Matt Cullen hugged it out. Uh, let's just start here as far as this training camp business is concerned. And nobody should be surprised about this. And I hate to be the guy who constantly talks about fourth liners, but damn it, if Matt Cullen doesn't look every bit of 30. And not 42 years old. I know. And it's it's camp, and there's not a lot you want to take away from this. But, like, look, this guy, can we just acknowledge that he's a freak of nature and is insane about taking care of himself? Yeah, no, you're, you're spot on. And we said that last week talking about him is that the guy's a fitness freak. He's a health nut. He does everything the right way to keep himself in the league. And not just in the league, but as a contributor on – good teams you know um and and i know we said you don't want to harp on fourth liners a lot but when your team is consisting of Sidney crosby of genny malkin phil kessel that's where the focus is going to be we know those guys in the top six are going to do what they do they're going to unquestionably be some of the best drivers of offense production points all you name it so we got to talk more about what's the bottom of the lineup going to look like so you know so far with the first few days out of the way it, we've seen a good battle in the bottom six half of the forward roster so i think that's promising for the upcoming year if we did this show and, and future mike darnay from april of 2019 were to appear uh and say that um matt cullen scored 13 goals for the penguins i'd be like yeah i <laughs> okay i'm not surprised by that at all no i wouldn't be surprised at all and <clears throat> even going back to last week i think not only is a guy who takes care of himself in the way that he does beneficial to himself, but when you have a guy like that with his reputation and leadership around his teammates when they're away from the rink, it's going to matter because guys can be like, oh, I don't want to eat like shit when I'm around Matt Cullen seeing how he's eating a fucking salad right now. Yeah, yeah. He's eating nuts from that he found in the earth himself. He harvested these these nuts and berries, and, and I'm eating is that. Is that what – is that what this podcast is going to do? We're going to just start making up like wild, tall tales about, about Matt College Matt and foraging for food. They're believable. I'm, I'm here for it. I mean, I assume people who live in Minnesota have to forage for food. 
well, we're all rarely right about things, so let's celebrate a moment <laughs> that we yes. were right. Yes. <laughs> uh, so uh, Sidney Crosby uh, debuts in training camp with Daniel Sprong affixed to his wing. Uh, all three of us last week on episode one of this Dying Alive podcast advocated for such, so it only stands to reason that Mike Sullivan was listening. Uh, I'm excited about this. I said on Twitter tonight, this team takes a different shape for me. If Daniel Sprong steps into this role and you rekindle some of this HBK magic in that they're just scoring at obscene rates. Because I don't think a lot of people appreciate the level of playmaking exhibited by Sidney Crosby last year. And, and you know, by proxy of that, the obscene level of not finishing by some of his teammates. <laughs> uh, Crosby was, was putting pucks on platters last year. And I said on Twitter, Patrick Hornquist... Chris Kunitz, Pascal Dupuis, all of these guys can make space for Sidney Crosby via their uh, forecheck ability in the boards, uh, it's net front presence. But you can also create space for Sidney Crosby by your ability to score and your ability to attack open areas of the ice. And we saw it in the playoffs against Philadelphia. You might forget about Jake Gensel once. You might forget about him the second time. But sooner or later, you're going to remember he's there, and, and Sidney Crosby is going to get a little bit more room to operate as a result. I, I just think this team takes a different shape with a first line that is just potting goals all season. You could say that about any team, but the potential is there for the Penguins to have something that they have their two cup runs. Yeah, and and to to further your point about taking open space and running with it, I actually just the other night I was rewatching the highlights from the uh, game six of the Penguins and Flyers when Jake Gensel scored four goals, I believe. Yeah. And, and, and when you're playing with Crosby and when you're feeling it, it's one of those things where if you can slide into a piece of open ice for just a brief second, he will be able to get you the puck if he has the puck. Yeah, his biggest asset, you know, it's been said to death about him since he's broken into the league is the way in which he sees and thinks the game. And it's a cliche about every elite player like a Sidney Crosby to the point where they say the guy just sees what's going to happen before it happens. And that's his biggest asset. Like you said, if you get to an open space for a split second and Sid knows you're going to be there, he's getting you that puck. It's the same thing with uh, before the the nightmare that was the Heinz Field Winter Classic, uh, his 2010-2011 season where his biggest thing that year was deflecting pucks from the goal line. Like, he was deflecting them from the side of the net on the goal line through his own legs, and you watch that and think, that's what separates him from the rest of the league, is the fact that he can do things that other players think of. He put, You know, I, I think, Pat, not to cut you off, but to your point, what you just mentioned to me is what will allow Sidney Crosby to stay at the top of the NHL scoring list into his mid and late thirties. And I think about what Mario Lemieux looked like when he came back um, and, and the kind of game he played uh, as he approached his second retirement and he was still competitive and he was still good because of his ability to think the game one step ahead of everybody else. And, and what, when players like that get the puck along the wall or on the breakout and they enter into the offensive zone, they can put the brakes on and just stop the game. You know, everybody else is scrambling, figuring out what they're going to do. They put the brakes on, hit the pause button, and, and here comes that elite-level puck distribution. And I think that's true for both 
Crosby and Malkin, and as they get into the the other side of thirty, I don't think this thing is gonna gonna slow down for them at all. I think they're gonna be lethal in ways that are evolved beyond where they exist today. Well, yeah. So, how would you compare? I guess expecting their aging comparing to like a current late thirties Joe Thornton. I would put it above that. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I think they're obvious. They're obviously more talented. Uh, so, like that kind of player, but with more skill. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I also think too a little bit there. There's a comparison of two different styles of player. Like while Joe Thornton is at the heart of his game a playmaker, like Sidney Crosby, he's a lot more brute and a lot more bullish than Sid, just because of his size. There's obviously a reason his nickname is Jumbo. So. That also, I think, takes a little bit more of a toll on Thornton's game and his aging process is that he does play a little bit of a rougher style of hockey because of his size. And age age in hockey and physical play comes for everybody. So it's just how fast it is, how fast it comes with a guy like Joe Thornton. So speaking of uh, Evgeny Malkin, uh, it would appear uh, that the second line uh, for the time being will have Phil Kessel affixed to it. Uh, I think, uh, I, I think we're going to see Derek Broussard at the wing. I, I just don't know if we'll be out, a out of the gate uh, and b on that line specifically. I mean, I would assume it would be. Um, it, you know, the conversation supposedly that happened between Mike Sullivan and, and Derek Broussard that was was one that was rooted in ice time, and Broussard's main concern being that he uh, was having a hard time uh, with lower minutes. Uh, which makes sense. I mean, if you watch him play, he's a guy you wind up almost, uh, and you, you you know you pull the string out of him, and he just goes and goes and goes. Um, having him in, in a lower role could certainly be an adjustment for him. But uh, are we happy? Are we all comfortable? We all had Kessel with Malkin um, with some more time to think about it. Is that what we expected, and uh, how do we feel about it? I'm fine with it. I think. I mean. Basically, the Penguins are in a situation with a top nine. We talked about – so we just talked about Kensel, Crosby, Sprong, Malkin, Kessel. Now you have Broussard. That still leaves you uh, Riley Shan. That leaves you Brian Rust. That leaves you Patrick Hornquist. It's not like they're neutering the bottom half of the lineup to go top heavy. No, and that was a point I was going to make too is that's the one of the strengths of this roster is – you can pack the top half of the forward group in a late game situation because you're blessed with that kind of depth. So I don't mind the idea of Broussard on the wing. And I love the idea of Kessel and Malkin because we've seen time and again, how well that they work off each other. And as your coworker, Jesse, Josh Yohi of the athletic wrote his piece on Gino the other day, I believe it was Yohi, right? Yeah. He Gino acknowledged why that they were broken up from time to time in over the past uh, two seasons, and it was because that occasionally they get a little bit lax on defense, which, you know, that's subjective to old school hockey guys and coaches that are more about risk aversion than playing to strength. But and and that also gets into to backtrack a little bit, not too far, but with uh, the Sprong stuff, I said it this morning on Twitter because it's been noted how well he's playing on both ends of the ice in camp. It's acknowledging a perceived weakness, fair or not, and fixing it is crucial in development of a pro hockey player. So for Sprung to do that 
and for Malkin to acknowledge why he didn't get his preferred winger is big. So it helps them round out their game and complete their game and become more of an asset to the team. I don't know that I care anymore about Phil Kessel as it relates to puck possession. I think that so much of what he does is putting himself in position to take one-off chances on zone entries that are also high percentage. So scoring chance in expected goals-wise, he never really gets murdered. It's puck possession where he gets killed. And I wonder if that's not just a symptom of the way he plays the game. Now, you mentioned zone entries and taking chances. Are you alluding to the type of shot he takes where he yes. he gets yes. a so he gets it's, a, it's streaking into the zone and takes one of his patented wrist shots that might blow past Braden Holpe, but the other eight times it might miss the net. And hit off the glass and create a breakout for the team. Mm-hmm. So these aren't plays by where he's establishing possession or attempting to set up a cycle. They're his best asset. What got him close to 100 points last year. So, you know, if the puck's in the other team's zone more, or if the puck's in the Penguins, excuse me, defensive end more, the quality of chance you garner still might be greater than what the other team is accumulating off of all that zone time. So I just, I don't know. It's never good to see a player get buried. But at what point do we step back and say, like, is this not symptomatic of just how Phil approaches offense? Shoot or and, shoot. Yeah, shoot or shoot, right? You know, let the band play the hits. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I agree, mean, I, I, mean I, think, I think back to it's the type of shot uh, game six against the Capitals in 2016. He, he had that wrister from the left hash that gave the Penguins a 2-0 lead in that game that a little bit to the left outside and it might be a scoring chance the other way, but that's the type of shot you want him to take. And when you're putting up, uh, when you're putting up 90 plus points on a season, I think you take those odds of, yeah, maybe he's not going to be the best puck possession guy, but he's going to score. And let's consider what Phil said just two days ago when he met with the media, people were asking about his health level in the playoffs as it relates to his performance. And he said, well, I mean, what? I averaged almost a point per game, right? And everybody said, yeah. And he goes, well, it wasn't that bad, was it? (laughs) And I think that's really how he looks at it. I mean, I I think that's how Phil looks at it. I am here 100% for feisty Phil, man. Like, it's fantastic. But you know what, though, Pat? I would argue that it wasn't all that feisty. I would argue that it should have been feistier. But, but, you know, and I really mean this. Uh, This is no bullshit on my part. You, You really analyze what Phil said in that meeting. A, he let his points and his results speak for themselves. And when you do that, there's no argument. I mean, what are you going to do, argue against a guy on 100 points? You have to be out of your mind. I mean, people <laughs> have done that, and those people look stupid. I'm sorry. They look dumb. The other thing is he let the people of Pittsburgh speak for him. And, and one thing I wanted to mention is I view Phil Kessel as, like, that dad who is really emotionally unavailable. you've got to expand on that i I will somebody texted me um i I was in a conversation with a buddy of mine uh there's a really good journalist and for the life of me his name's gonna escape himself that did it he anyway he did a sit-down interview uh with dale earnhardt jr who one of my favorite athletes of all time and dale earnhardt jr got into this whole conversation about how um his relationship with his father and 
you know, they didn't communicate, they, they didn't talk on, on any level that existed outside of racing. And I think you think about Phil Kessel as a player. He does not want to talk about anything outside of hockey. So for Phil Kessel to acknowledge the fact that the entire city went to bat for him and he was aware of it, I honestly believe that that was his answer to all the drama that happened in the offseason. I don't need to justify myself to anybody in this room. I don't need to argue about it. I don't need to tell the media to stop writing these stories because y'all got grilled for it and the fans spoke on my behalf. I I truly believe that Phil Kessel was ultimately 100% aware of what was being said about him. I mean, look, this is a guy that dropped one of my favorite tweets of all time, right? He exists on Twitter. You know, I I think he's 100% aware of how much pushback there was to what was written about him. And his answer to it was to say, look, hey, y'all got drugged through the mud. On social media, I don't have anything else to say about it. Yeah, I mean, he knows. We, we can go back to uh, the World Cup of Hockey when he was left off the team, and he tweets, wonder what I could be doing tonight, or whatever it was. Just hanging out here with my dog. Yeah, or we can go back to um, you know his how- day with the Cup where he put hot dogs in the Stanley Cup on the golf course. The, yeah. the, the World Cup of Hockey tweet, you know how I know that tweet was gigantic? It was the night of a presidential debate and I saw it everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think that to get that acknowledgement out of him was like a rare candid moment. I, I it's a, uh, is a candid moment for me between Phil Kessel and the fans that has only previously existed at the Stanley cup parades. I, I think outside of that, he's been very, very private. That's just the kind of person he is the way he likes it. I think it was a genuine moment from Phil um, and a burial of, of all these just obscene every single year we do this. And I think that finally it's been addressed in a way that makes it difficult to go back to this well at the end of the season for a third time. I yeah. mean, if, if you dip back in there, you're, you're really asking for it at this point. <clears throat> yeah. He, he addressed it in a manner that was, you make yourself look stupid. I'm not going to call you out on it 100% right here. But if you do it again, it might have to be like in Toronto when he said, uh, well, that guy must not know what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, you know, the, the potential of Phil with Malkin all year, uh, the potential of the pink. Think about this too. You know, you think about what Kessel did last season. Think about what the Penguins power play did last season. I mean, could you imagine the potential that exists there should Chris Letang uh, show an improved um, uh, improved performance this season. And again, that's not to, you know, we can make, you know, what, what happened with Letang last year as well, document. We don't have to, we don't have to get back into that. Uh, I think just noting what he's done in the off season and, and thinking about what that power play might look like, uh, you know, that's a terrifying prospect. Yeah. And it, it there's no reason to think it's going to slow down either. Cause you're going to get the same personnel and I think the biggest asset that the power play has, and I didn't really realize this until about uh, three quarters of the way through the season when uh, Jeff from the Penn's blog pointed it out that y- the quarterback of, the, of that power play is not Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin or Justin Schultz or Chris Letang. It's Phil Kessel. That power play runs through Phil Kessel. He is oh yeah. He's the general out there. He is the point man that they run it everything through, whether it's him getting to an open spot and doing what you highlighted a while back, Jesse, what you called the Kessel walk where he comes off yep. the wall, 
or if it's him distributing it uh, across the ice. Because we saw him do that a lot in the past two seasons where he could dart a cross-ice pass to whoever was on the other side, Gino or Sid, and next thing you know, they have an easy tap-in. Now, speaking of, we talked about Chris Letang in this power play, and, and we got to talk about the Ottawa Senators for a minute, transitioning to other elite defensemen. And file this under uh, unfortunate events. The Eugene Melnick fireside chat gets posted after we do our first show. Oh, I know. That I, disgusts me. Can, because Jesse, can we can we do a fireside chat like that at some point? Yes, but we have to make sure it transitions in, from us having a casual conversation to getting serious and talking about hockey because that was my favorite part. And that's not the first time in his career that Mark Bo- – well, actually, it is the first time in Mark Borowiecki's career that he wasn't being carried by someone else. How in um, the world do you think that guy was feeling sitting there? Oh, uh, It was the most awkward thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And then when you couple it – with the fact that he was wearing a jersey from 2011 with the old Reebok logo, like bro, yes. you, <laughs> you could, somebody pointed that out. To you me own the damn the, team, and you're wearing a jersey from the old sponsor. Yeah, that's but, unbelievable. And that was the thing. I the first time I watched it, I didn't hear anything because I was just looking at it like, why is he wearing a jersey? <laughs> Fixating on dumb, it. Yeah, it was a this blank is the jersey. Dumbest. This is the dumbest, chintziest thing. Like, you don't have goodwill. You can't play the, well, look at me. I'm just, I'm one of you guys, and I, I'm like a fan too. They all hate you. You, you know how you watch do that. You know how when you watch Jimmy Kimmel, and when every time they transition, or any late night show, and every time they transition back from commercial, the host and the guest are laughing and carrying on like they've just had the best time during the break. Yep. That was exactly how it started. <laughs> I was like, this is unbelievable. And, and I mean, and. I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this watch that bizarre video, but the best part, in my opinion, was the part where Eugene Melnick says, there's all these rumors about the Ottawa Senators might have to move or they might be sold. He spread those rumors. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You were literally the man responsible for that talk. It wasn't even a rumor until the, the Winter Classic or Heritage Classic or whatever it was. And he comes out and goes, well... You know, if the fans don't show up, uh, we might have to look at the relocation. It wasn't a discussion until you made it one. And then now, Eric Carlson, arguably the most talented defenseman in the National Hockey League, joins a team with one of the other arguably most talented defensemen in the National Hockey League in Brent Burns, uh, and a guy who's not too shabby in Mark Edward Vlasic. So, um, is San Jose now the favorite in the West? I think this is the year the Sharks do it. All right, let's tally that up. That's year <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, fourteen. That's year, year one thousand. Um, this is the and, year the and, Sharks I mean, can, do it. And we can talk about lethal power plays. What are they going to be rolling out there? Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, Joe Thornton, Joe Pavelski, and Logan Couture. Jesus Christ. Tomas Hurdle, possibly. Tomas Hurdle. Yeah. And that was Jesus. the other thing about the trade. Two things on the trade. One, it was a classic Ottawa Senators sideshow Bob stepping on a rake trade. They traded for a pick that doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> the first round pick they got for 2019 from the Sharks doesn't belong to the Sharks. Buffalo has it. They got it in the Kane trade. And yeah. And then. Also- uh... Well, and then, well, no, go ahead, Pat. 
I was gonna say, along with that, you traded Eric Carlson, and you didn't get one of Tomas Hurdle or Meyer from the Sharks. You didn't get one of their two best prospects or young pl- roster players. That was never gonna happen. That was never gonna happen. I mean, they didn't I mean, even I get the. They, they didn't waited, even get their best prospect, Nick Markley. No, they they waited way too long, and I think that by the time that free agency had ended, when you think about the contract that Evander Kane got, right? Doesn't don't you think that inhibits your ability to keep a guy like Eric Carlson a little bit? You know what I mean? I, I just I, I feel like there were moves that teams didn't that had, they had accounted for a certain amount of cap space, and then uh, when Eric Carlson didn't get moved, I'd, I'd be interested to see what those deals looked like versus the one that they ended up getting. I wouldn't be shocked if they were worse off now than if they had traded him, you know, June fifteenth. Yeah. Uh, and also, what Jeff, it, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal your take real quick, but the hill I'm gonna die on because I agree with it is I think this is bigger than Toronto getting T- uh, Tavares because I think the Sharks were a better fit for Carlson than they would have been for Tavares. Look, the, shark, the, 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 the at the end of the day, the Maple Leafs have Ron Hainsey on their top defensive pairing. They don't have a defense. <laughs> so, like, I get it. John Tavares is an unbelievable player. But, like... But if you're the Sharks and you split them up, you either have Brent Burns or Eric Carlson on the ice at all times. Right. Now, the question um, is, I mean, it didn't work out all that great for Tampa. Can, can I uh, can I have a hot take for, for the Maple Leafs? Oh, please. The oven is warm and ready. It is not going to be their forwards, their defense, or their goaltending that holds them back from winning a championship. Mike Babcock. Yep. It's going to be their coach. Feed it to me. Feed it to me, Pat. Because look at the teams that Babcock has coached that puts him in all this lore. He was right there in 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 the middle of those great Detroit teams where... You had Nick Lidstrom, Zetterberg, Datsuk. You you guys know those rosters. He was Team Canada's coach. The Monstars, basically. And now he gets this great roster, this great forward core and young prospect pipeline, just like he had in Detroit, in Toronto. But you think about the way they played last year, the first half of the season. Well, uh, you know, we gotta we gotta make sure we have a good deep. We gotta have good two-way players. We gotta have good uh, complete game. Play to your strengths. Nah, you Michelle tearing these... him. You gotta Michelle tearing him. That's the way. You gotta you gotta throw the reins on him and force him to do things they're not good at. Yeah. Now, now <laughs> maybe in two thousand. With all that said, I am curious to see if the Leafs' new management group is pushing him to play the team, play the team to its strengths. As I did see reports that. Um, it is likely that Tavares and Mitch Marner are going to be penalty killers for the Maple Leafs this year. Well, there's too many goddamn shows about the, the Maple Leafs, so we're moving on. Mike, <laughs> <laughs> Mike, uh, the readers have inf- they want information from us. They, they have do. Questions we we have been asked a series of questions, um, so let's just fire through them. We have some hockey-related, some non-hockey-related. Those are my uh, favorite ones, by the way. Let's, okay, let's do f- it. first question is from Morgan. He needs to know... Top three sandwiches ranked. Oh, this question has been haunting me since he sent it. Full disclosure, I didn't see this question until about five minutes before we started to record this podcast. I haven't thought about it at all. So if you don't mind, I'd like to go first, and I'm just going to throw these at you. 
If you steal okay, one of mine, I will be upset, but go this ahead. This is coming fright from my heart. Number one, peanut butter and jelly. The bread has to be toasted. Get out of my face. Okay? You could eat that for lunch. You could eat that for breakfast. You could eat that as a poor man's dinner. That is a multi-tool meal. It's a five-tool <laughs> meal. If this was baseball, peanut butter and jelly <laughs> and toasted bread would be lasting's millage. Okay. I have, I, have, <laughs> I have one question before you continue. Yes. What kind of jelly? Oh, Welch is great. Okay. Fair. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah, I don't want no seeds in my jellies. Let's get that out of the right. way right now. Yeah. Um, and I'm also – I'm going to give you three peanut butters because you could give me creamy, you could give me crunchy, or you could give me – Jif makes this peanut butter that's got honey in it. Ooh. Get out of town. I, Stop I the presses. I love crunchy peanut butter. Love crunchy um, peanut butter. Pastrami on rye. Good choice. Okay, pastrami is the finest of the cured meats. <laughs> Let me get that out of the way first. Let me get that out of the way. That's courtesy. Actually, I have a friend, Garrett Jones. Uh, he's my insurance agent. He uh, has said oh, that for years. Sponsor. Yeah, he's he he said that for years. Uh, that pastrami is the finest of the cured meats. Um, three, uh, giant eagle. I don't know who carries this. So forget. I, I couldn't tell you, but if you go to Giant Eagle, they have it. Giant Eagle has a, a it's a sliced fried chicken. Okay, it's essentially deli meat that's chicken that's fried and sliced you throw that the most premier cheese in the deli game land lakes yellow american because dude get out of my face if you got another cheese you're gonna throw at me that you want on your sandwich so i take that fried giant eagle chicken plus uh land lakes uh uh yellow american on the whitest bread you got i have a i have i found found out the hard way uh like uh, a couple weeks back at Giant Eagle, that if you don't specify that you want Land O'Lakes cheese, they will give you Giant Eagle cheese. And oh, oh boy, it, there's that a difference. Was a, that was a rough week. It's texture based. You can tell in eating it. Okay, I do have a cheese to go toe to toe with your Land O'Lakes <laughs> cheddar, though. All right, and it is it is a. Cheese. Mike's gonna get all fancy on me here. It, here we no, go. It goes on <laughs> on my number three. Uh, my my choices. Two of my choices were very specific. One was not. Um, actually, is my number two. Number three is just a, your basic gyro. It is. We're a counting this as a sandwich. I count gyro as a sandwich. Jeez, oh, I got to rethink the whole goddamn list now. <laughs> number two is Denix roast pork at Reading Terminal Market in Philadelphia that has a sharp provolone cheese. That is my cheese that goes toe to toe with your Land of Lakes cheddar. All right, that's I. I don't, we'll have to look into that. Number one <laughs> is an Italian battleship from Triangle Grill in Swissville, Pennsylvania. I mean, if we're if we're going this direction, Big Shot Bob's has a cheeseburger where the buns are two grilled cheese sandwiches, and I'm immediately oh my changing God. my so vote does, to that. Uh, the uh, Pittsburgh Sports Bar in Castle Shannon does the same thing. All right, Pat, what do you got? sandwiches so so i i I went specific in the thoughts of this so um my number three uh is the turkey club from carl's on 22 in monroeville Uh, i got one of those last week and it's like anytime anybody goes there i i don't even need a menu i know it's just they they basically put it on texas toast too so Oh. oh it's that speaks to me it's just fantastic my number two, uh, sticking with my Pittsburgh roots, um, a capicola and cheese from Permanis oh, in yeah. the strip. Yeah, fair. Oh, yeah. You get that and some kind of a light-ish beer, 
No tomato. What? Yeah, no tomato. Get right out of here, Jesse Can I explain? Can I explain? I guess. It makes the Mancini soggy. If you don't eat it that quick. (laughs) I don't don't give my sandwiches time to get soggy. No, they're, they're... All right, guys. I have heartburn. Okay, if I eat fast, you, you, know, you no, you know what? Uh, that's that's fair. A friend of mine, um, he has recently become a fan of the cheesesteak bomb sandwich at Permanis. It's like a cheesesteak on a hoagie bun. Um, he does no peppers and onions for heartburn reasons. Yeah, understandable. I, okay, I, that's I, fair. I, I, anyway, okay. And my number one, uh, if anybody that listens to this is an IUP alumni, you know where I'm going with this. Ninth Street Deli steak and cheese sub. Here's the kicker. A half is 12 inches. A full is 24. Oh. And I mean, a buddy of mine who I grew up uh, in Pittsburgh with and played hockey with growing up, he would visit me at IUP all the time when we were in college, and he'd always go there. And now he works in like... I want to say either insurance or financial advising, one of the two, but he has to travel a lot for clients and he has a ton up that way by Indiana and he takes them all there. He's like, this is where <laughs> I'm taking people to close sales because it's so good. And well, you got to have a place like that at IUP because everybody's blackout drunk 24 hours a day. <laughs> Dude, it's, I, 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 I'm going to say this right now. Don't eat it drunk. It's too good. Do not okay. waste it as well, a Okay, that's good meal. advice. Do not waste advice. that as a drunk meal. That that needs to be something you get. That's a hangover meal, is what that is. You get Mike, that. In, you get that in the morning when you stumble stumble down the street and go, "Oh yeah, they're open." Mike's got me thinking though. I, I Mike and Tony's is just too good to not put in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we're putting gyros in there, I gotta go. Mike and Tony. Mike and Tony's, you can only eat there once a month because you go more than that, you're not you're not gonna make it. Yeah, yeah that, that's fair. Um, I every time I leave Mike and Tony's, I don't eat for the next three days. I actually, I sad ate a gyro at Mike and Tony's um, <laughs> to cure my sadness. After it was after game game, uh, it was that game one. Mike. It was game one of the Penguins Senators Eastern Conference Final when oh, it was such that, a disappointing game. That horrible, boring game that ended that crappy goal went to overtime. Two one. Yeah, yeah so I I went there and had a gyro and sat on the sidewalk and ate by myself. Bobby, Bobby, what make a, Ottawa great again. Ryan scored the overtime winner. Yeah. Yeah. Keep, let's keep uh, the question. Next coming. question is hockey related. Uh, Chris Kraft asks, would you trade for Josh Hosang? And if so, what would you give up? I would not. Penguins have too many forwards as it is. I wouldn't do it either. Yeah, I agree. I don't, and I also don't see a need or a fit. They're, they're pretty stacked at forward. I don't think they need Hosang. They got Sprong. They need the assets more than they need anything. Uh, Kevin Reuter asks, what will Rich Miller do in his retirement? I assume eat steak. Probably go to some country shows. A lot of bar steak, a lot of fireball, flannels, pickup trucks, country shows. He's basically going to become a walking Rich. Bryan let's talk song. about Rich. Rich is also an elite center, so I'm sure Rich has got some hockey playing in his near, if not present, present time. Um, oh, hey, don't got... don't sleep on don't sleep on Rich's ability at center. Ait. Probably. Yep. Uh, Chad Tully asks if Daniel Sprong doesn't fit with Crosby, what would you do with lines? How would you change them if Sprong can play left wing as well as right wing? This I got to address this left wing uh, right wing thing because this came out of a story recently. Somebody talked about Daniel Sprong looking good 
coming down on the offside. Uh, but I, I just feel like that's the nature of the Penguins jumbled breakout uh, uh, that can sometimes happen. And I'm going to talk about that on the athletic this week. I meant to do it last week and I'm taking my time with it, but uh, he's, I, I think he's got to stay on the right side. Uh, and I think that if it doesn't work out, assuming Derek Broussard's the third line center, I bump him down there. That's fair. Yeah, um, I think Broussard would be a good fit for him. Um, obviously Malkin has Kessel, so you don't bump him there. And I think, I think if the, I think the kid just with his speed is going to be a good asset regardless of where they put him because if that's one thing I've heard about him throughout camp so far this week is that he's looked fast. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. What else you got, Mike? Anything else? Ryan Franciscus asks: Has have any of you been to the new Top Golf in Bridgeville? How was it? I have not, but I know Top Golf is a good experience regardless. I haven't been there yet either, but I can just vouch for Top Golf. Yes. I did. Yeah. I did go to it. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I mean, and I played it. God, back in 2016, I think when I was in Dallas, and like it was, it, it's so fun. It's it, it as much as Mike and I love actually golfing. I think Top Golf is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Darren asks, "Am I crazy for thinking the biggest asset the Peng- Penguins will have to improve?" their decor this year is the continued development of Olimata. I don't think I'd say that's crazy. I think that's a, I think that's a good way to look at it. I mean, uh, we saw how consistent he was last year after a full summer of, or after a summer where he could train again and what didn't have, you know, rickets or something. But uh, yeah, I think he, I think he's a good catalyst on the defense in general because we know what we're going to get from Dumoulin. We likely know what we're going to get from Latang. So your next up in in line is Mata. I'm going to I'm going to disagree, and I'm going to say that Justin Schultz returning to his form of 2016-17 would be a bigger asset for the Penguins. Yeah, and I think by the way he has spoken these last few days, I think he realizes that. Yeah, I'm going to. So I, I think if you get the same thing out of Mata this year that you did last year, you're 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 in a good piece of uh, business if you can get more. And, and, and I think overall. Mata's a guy that, and I've I've said this on blog posts and podcasts before. Mata's Mata's not a guy that you notice um, game in and game out. He's a guy you appreciate over an entire season. You look back and realize how steady he was, and that's what he is. He's not he's not Chris Letang. He's going to wow you with speed and skill. He's not Brian Dumoulin, who's going to be a really good two way defenseman. He's a guy that you're just going to look back at the season and go, yeah, you know, Mata was there. He he was yep. consistent all through. Yeah, I think, he has uh, more to give. I think he does have more to give offensively, Pat. He did talk about that, um, and Mike Sullivan did as well uh, at the beginning of camp and just allowing him to get involved more and try to put many more points on the board. Yeah. Continue with the question. Looks like I got four more here. Uh, Jay asks, favorite non-Penguins rivalry? Um, I am going to go with a caveat here um, because it's only a good rivalry and both teams are good. And it seems like it's been a few years since they've both been good is Bruins Canadians. That's a really good one. Um, I'm going to go with one that doesn't exist anymore because of alignment, but when it did, it was fantastic. Colorado Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also going to go Bruins Canadians. It, when, when they're, when they're going both well, um, like let's if we flash back. Was that 2014 when Milan Lucic threatened to kill somebody from Montreal? Yeah, it, it's it's unmatched. It it gets goofy. Um, Jay, also, different Jay asks top three breweries in Pittsburgh. 
I am I'm probably going to decline on this question because I drink shitty beer. Uh, I mean, I love Fatheads. I do too. Yeah, um, Fatheads. Fatheads Bumbleberry is my favorite beer. Yeah, Fatheads. I love Fatheads Headhunter. I think that's a really good beer. Um, yeah, Fatheads. I've only had Church Brewworks a handful of times. Yeah, Church Church is great. I'm gonna throw them in mine. Um, who am I forgetting here? Do we consider Southern Tier to be Pittsburgh? No. No. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I mean, I don't go to, I don't do breweries a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like drink. I like PBR. Sorry. <laughs> uh, okay. Eric asks, what does Dominic Simone have to do to not be roasted by every Yinzer alive for not replicating Jake Gensel's near 30% shooting in the playoffs? What a loaded question, Eric. Wow. <laughs> it's a very specific question. Eric clearly doesn't have an opinion about that. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't. He needs us to give him one. I think I think Jake Gensel's way better than Dominic Simone. I don't think Jake Gensel's all shooting percentage. I think it's a, um, I think it's a false comparison too. You're you're talking about two different style of hockey players. Yeah, I mean I I I don't think Dan, I don't think Dominic Simone has the ability to go on an insane thirty percent shooting percentage run for an entire year. No, he's, he, he's not, <laughs> I, I don't. I just I I don't again. Knight. I don't want to be clear. Like I don't dislike Dominic Simone. I just think he's miscast as a top line player. If they if the Penguins rolled out Matt Cullen, Riley Shan, and Dominic Simone as their fourth line, I'd be fine with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's I'm 100% really, fine that's with that. That's a really good fourth line if that's what they go yeah. with. Yeah. All right, so last question. Uh, preseason Mike asks, your best or worst Pittsburgh slash regional hot takes. And I'm going to I – got, I got one here that has been bothering me for a while. I don't really care to address it in detail, um, and this can actually segue into our next topic – uh, the bizarre fascination from Mark Madden with Juju Smith-Schuster. Mm. Is that a hot take, though? I mean, like he, well, he was asking for a hot take, right? Best yeah, or worst? Not, oh, or I'm one, looking. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm just summing it up as worst. Um, I mean, I keep him with that topic. I mean, it's not even so much a hot take right now, but uh, I don't think the Steelers are going to make the playoffs. I mean, look. You get no argument out of me on that. I mean, their defense is <laughs> atrocious. Uh, what they give up yesterday? Forty-two points, forty-five points, whatever. There, there was a stat, and there was a stat I saw. I'm gonna get it wrong, but I'll, I'll try to keep it in the ballpark. If anybody sees it, tweet it at me. Um, there was a stat. It was like home teams that or teams that put up like forty plus points were like 632 and one or something Jesus. until yesterday with the Steelers <laughs> losing. They um, they were too. And you know who wasn't a team that was the one Cleveland. Yeah. Not even Cleveland pulled that off. My, I don't, I'm having a hard time thinking of my hot take. Um, I mean, it's not Will Greer is a better quarterback than Trace McSorley. That's Will Greer, quarterback for the West, West Virginia. Virginia. Now. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's my hot take. I, I didn't shock you guys with that, I guess. It's really no, no, I don't, I don't think – I think I, I, I kind of agree. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's not all that hot. I'm not a huge college um, football guy, so. On a side note, Mike, guess what happened this weekend? I, 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 I know what's coming. 
We won. <laughs> you beat you beat the Ev. We West Ham United is now, by the way, in 16th place in the Premier League with just one victory on the year. Out of the relegation zone. No, out, of, out of the relegation zone and into safety, which is a testament to absolute how absolutely shitty Newcastle and Burnley are. <laughs> uh, let's get that out of the way. And I don't like Liverpool. Mike knows that. I got no respect for them whatsoever, but I'll cheer for anybody that beats uh, Spurs on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, that and tomorrow afternoon... We've got PSG coming to Anfield for the Champions League. Oh, my God, tomorrow. Tomorrow. I didn't even realize the Champions League was tomorrow. This is the greatest day of my life. I can't believe I forgot about the group stage of the Champions League. Tomorrow at 3 p.m. PSG and Liverpool. Yes. Oh, that's going to be great. I don't think I have to work. That's going to be great. I don't think I have to work tomorrow. So I'm a little Edison Cavani. Into that. In, uh, Cavani, in Neymar, Anfield. Mbappe. Ron, let me, I'm looking up the Champions League schedule really quick here. Because maybe we could give the listeners a game of the week. That well, we won't make it that one because nobody really cares. Well, I was gonna about say it. too, like for that, like that's that's definitely <laughs> oh. that's something you two got to bring to the show because like you guys are in on EPL. All right, so I'm gonna give you a couple. Well, this is an EPL pat. The, I know, the it's, Champions it's, it's League. Champ, it's Champions League. Across, yeah. yeah, it's um, it, Tottenham and Inter tomorrow. That'll be good. Um, Forza Inter. Um, don't sleep on this. Uh, Napoli tomorrow is going to Red Star Belgrade. Um, watch that. Watch. Yeah, those those are the other two teams in Liverpool's group. Yeah, well, that's that's a tough place to go play a football match. Uh, and then you got I'm 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 telling you now, don't sleep on Galatasaray. They're going to Locomotive Moscow. Uh, but Galatasaray sneaky good this year, sneaky good. Uh, and I'm gonna be the first to go on record and say that Roma takes it to Real Madrid on Wednesday. That's a better hot take, I think. Yeah, that's my hot take. It's not regional, but uh, well, I mean, really, is it that hot? I mean, Madrid's—they're well, not the same, Mike. No, no, I don't think they are. Anyway, Mike made my day, so thank you, Mike, Bingo. for reminding me about the Champions League. Um, yeah, that's all and, I and, got. And, and better yet, tomorrow that uh, that Inter Tottenham is at twelve fifty-five, and then the second round Liverpool PSG is at three o'clock. So you can just kiss productivity tomorrow. Goodbye. <laughs> Perfect. Beautiful. Do we want to? Do we want to talk about the Steelers since we did say oh we're going to bring that up? But like, um, I mean, the one thing I would like to address so is I just saw a very good tweet come across my timeline here. Oh boy. Uh, so obviously, there's a lot of drama going on with the Steelers right now. Antonio Brown, no. uh, Evergreen, Bud Dupree. Uh, this this tweet is from Chris Muller from ninety three seven The Fan. So to give some background, friend of the show, Chris Muller. Yes, friend of the pod, friend of the show. Uh, so Bud Dupree, you guys. <laughs> so Bud Dupree gets chirped by a fan on Twitter, and he slides into Bud Dupree slides into the fans' DMs with slides a, in slides in like Jung Ho Gong. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Gregory Polanco. Gregory Polanco. Thank you. I don't watch baseball. Yeah, slides in like Gregory Polanco with a reply. Uh, who can sum this up better than I can? Um, yeah, I mean, it was uh, the question was where were where was Bud Dupree all day, and he said uh, I was up posted up with your girl. What you gonna do? Okay, so so there's your background. Chris Muller, good tweet here from ten minutes ago. The dude that chirped Dupree should have changed his Twitter picture Twitter picture to Patrick Mahomes before he said anything. That way, Dupree wouldn't have done anything to him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
yeah, the Steelers' defense is, is an atrocity. Uh, offensively, they're not clicking either. Antonio Brown has gone full diaper. Um, the Le'Veon Bell situation has not gone away. Uh, it is can, can you know, I, normally you normally you don't see this kind of behavior until February or January. Can, can I can I <laughs> offer what uh, what I think is one of the worst parts of the Le'Veon Bell drama? Sure. Uh, I know Deadspin put a story out on it a week or two ago. Um, you know who I think looks the worst out of all of this, and it's not Bell or the Steelers. It's uh, I think it was Hayward, who um, like brought up like what the linemen are making and what Bell wants to make. Oh, it's Ramon Foster. Or yeah, Ramon Foster. Dude, you're the union rep. Like, yeah. You, I I I don't want to disagree that Bell's making an ass out of himself, but. Your entire job as a union rep is to make sure your fellow well, union members get I paid. I think there was in in that quote though, Pat. I do think he addressed that. In all fairness to him, um, and I don't remember exactly what it was he said, but he quantified his statement. But to your point, it's probably not something uh, that he should have said anyway. Yeah, um, like, you're, like you're yeah. the guy. You're the guy who has to just be like, uh, you know, we we wish he was here, and uh, you know, it sucks he's not. I'm taking the Seahawks on Monday Night Football. Anybody want to chip in on that? I think Khalil Mack might break Russell Wilson's collarbone tonight. You can't break what you can't catch, Michael. Well, Actually, really, what I what the situation is is I'm down 36 in fantasy, and uh, I have two players going tonight. Russell Wilson's one of them. I really, really need him to have a big night. So <laughs> I'm talking myself into him. How badly uh, am I getting beat this week? So, so uh, I, I did not draft the team this year, but I hope neither of you were playing against Patrick Mahomes yesterday. No, no, not at all. Um, and you know what? Before we end this show, uh, we do have to say our condolences uh, do go out to, to Mike Sullivan and his family. Yes. Uh, his father, yes. George, passing away and uh, Jacques Martin taking over the uh, training camp duties for the time being. So i uh, got to give a shout out to, to Mike Sullivan and his family. And uh, yeah, uh, not, a, not a fun situation by any means. So um, nope. uh, take your time and coming back. We'll, I'm sure Jacques will be holding down the fort for him. Oh, yeah. Nothing but the best for the Sullivan family. Anything, uh, anything you guys have you want to plug? Nope. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, we're, we're going to do more preseason looks at the Penguins on the Athletic this week. And uh, yeah, in, in all seriousness, we we have um, previews of uh, Metropolitan Division opponents coming starting this week on Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, systems talk. Nice. Uh, I had my NHL 19 review on Penn's blog on Sunday, but holy shit, the only thing I don't like about it right now is the oh, name wow. World of huh. Chell. Ugh. Ugh. It's bad. The the mode is good. The name is yes, bad. Exactly. Mm. That's about all I got. Well then, we will uh we will chat with y'all next week. And uh, thanks for listening to episode two. See you guys. Talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.